New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Cy Montgomery. She's a naturalist, documentary scriptwriter, and author of many books about her encounters with many species of animals around the world, including The Soul of an Octopus and The Hummingbird's Gift, Wonder, Beauty, and Renewal on Wings. I'm speaking with Cy at her home by Remote Connection. Welcome, Cy, to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thanks so much, Justine. It's my privilege and pleasure and honor to have you on. And I wanted to ask you, in these times of climate change and habitat loss, many animals are in distress. And one species is the tiniest of birds, the hummingbird. Let's talk about this little creature with its jewel-like feathers. What makes them different from other birds? Well, hummingbirds are just miracles. Not only are they incredibly beautiful, not only are they incredibly tiny, the smallest bird in the world is in fact a hummingbird. It's the bee hummingbird of Cuba. But they're fast and they're fierce and they are just jaw-droppingly brave. For example, many people think that the fastest bird in the world is the peregrine falcon. Well, it is, but if you're looking at body lengths per second, the fastest bird in the world is really the Allen's hummingbird, which screams down from the sky at 61 miles per hour. It plunges 60 feet every second, and that is 385 body lengths per second, which even bests the space shuttle. The longest migrant in the world, if you're looking at body size, is also a hummingbird. And to fuel this furious pace of of life, even resting, these little tiny birds that weigh less than a feather of a larger bird, they breathe 250 times a minute. Their heart beats 500 times per minute. They have to visit 1,500 flowers every day and eat like 700 insects. Imagine a creature like that. If it was a mammal, it would combust. But they really are almost like a flaming atom. You can't believe they're real. I love it, the flaming atom. That's a great image. Also, because their wings are beating so fast, their respiration is really fast, they really have to eat a lot, as you said, how many flowers they visit every day. So one of the ways we can help hummingbirds is to grow lots of flowering plants. Yes, and what a lovely thing to do. You know, it's, it's not an unpleasant thing to make a beautiful pollinator garden for hummingbirds and for the other pollinators who do us the service of making our food possible. Because without pollinators, you know, many plants couldn't grow at all, including so many of our food plants. And this is becoming a problem in today's world. There's pesticides, of course, 
But there's also, we hear about the collapse of bee colonies, and these are very important to the whole ecosystem. Absolutely. Um, to me, it's it's a wonder that any hummingbird even exists. When you think of all the stuff that can happen to these guys, trout will jump out of streams and swallow them. Praying mantids will eat them. They are caught by our cats. In fact, this is one of the major causes of death. They smash into our windows. They're poisoned by our pesticides. They even can get caught in spider webs because many people don't realize that to make her nest, a mother hummingbird has to steal silk from a spider's web. And that's very dangerous for her. Sometimes they get caught up and then they'll, they'll fall on the ground. One person that I heard of was in her barn and was about to kick with her shoe, this clod of dirt, until she saw what it was. It was a hummingbird just enrobed with sticky spider silk that had junk all over him. She picked up the bird, took him out of the sticky spider silk, and the, the bird flew away and presumably continued on her way to make a nest and, and raise some babies. I know that you've talked about how very powerful it is when you are seen by, let's say, a bird, when you look at a bird in their eye and they're looking back at you, that can be a very powerful moment. Yeah, it's an amazing thing that connects you um, all the way to the dinosaurs, because we don't realize that the dinosaurs did not really all go extinct 65 million years ago. They turned into birds. Birds are surviving dinosaurs. And when I was researching the hummingbird's gift, what I was doing was I was actually acting as one of two moms to two orphaned baby hummingbirds. And these hummingbirds looked at me and rehabilitator Brenda Sherburn LaBelle in the face and recognized us as their mother. And when we managed to raise these little birds up and let the first one go, they actually, you know, they're born two days apart and one is always older and bigger than the other. When he was let go, he would come and get us to protect him. He would hover in front of our faces, asking us to protect him and bring him some food, just as he would his own mother. So they do recognize us. And people who feed hummingbirds have had that experience of hummingbirds that come to your window, basically saying, hey, you know, it's time to bring out the, the feeder right now. Would you come and bring, make with the nectar, would you? And most people obey. <laughs> and besides the nectar, it's also okay to have like a little compost heap that would attract, let's say if you have old fruit, rotting fruit or something that would attract fruit flies. And this is very important for hummingbirds too, isn't it? Yeah, you're so right. Most people don't realize that they don't just sip nectar. They need and will die without hundreds and hundreds of bugs every single day. So a compost pile is a wonderful thing for hummingbirds. The worst thing in the world you can do for a hummingbird Probably it's neck and neck with letting your cat out. But, you know, it, please keep your cats in, particularly during baby bird season. But the worst thing you can do is spray pesticides because it will poison the food that these little birds need. I'm just thinking, uh, I have this wish that 
everybody would just get rid of their lawns that we don't have lawns, but we only have indigenous plants. We can do beautiful yards without grass. I know. And think of all the time we would not spend, you know, out on our lawnmower trying to make the grass stay at this particular length. It would be great. In our yard, we have acres devoted just to milkweed, which of course is the favorite food and only food, in fact, of, of monarch butterflies. And every year we get these clouds of butterflies emerging from our yard. That's so fabulous. And uh, do you know about the alternating life cycle of that particular species of butterfly? Yeah, it's, it is amazing that these butterflies, they have a huge migration. They go all the way down to Mexico and then the ones that come back up north aren't the ones that flew down. They are the descendants of those, those insects who have to know in their little tiny butterfly heads, they have to somehow know how to do this. And it's, it's not just one generation, as, as you were pointing out, it's several generations who come back and none of them have ever been there before. And then they hibernate in clusters, and that particular ancestor then lives for like five or six months rather than six weeks. So they call that an alternating life cycle, which no other species has. And that's why they're so precious. And that's why I smile so big when you said that you have a garden of milkweed. Everyone should plant milkweed. And the milkweed will plant itself for you if you just don't go wreck it. I mean, just let it grow and it'll be great. I mean, who doesn't want to see butterflies? Who doesn't want to see hummingbirds? We all love these creatures. But what we're asking, we meaning those of us who love the earth, and that's everyone because it's our home and it's our mother, all that these creatures ask of us is just learn a little bit about them so that we can make their lives a little bit easier. And often, it's not even something that we have to do. Frequently, it's something that we just need to not do, something that we didn't enjoy anyway, like mowing down all the milkweed. Exactly. And, you know, in, in these times, as we've encroached on the territory, let's say, of bears and and mountain lions or cougars and uh and they're appearing in uh, more urban settings. And of course, raccoons and coyotes have been living with us for a long time. Of course, we know mice and rats too, but here we are, we're having to live with this wildlife more and more. Do you have any advice as to how to live peacefully with cougars and bears and, <laughs> and other animals? Well, remember, you know, who was there first? We are guests of theirs. And many people think like, oh, this is my house. This is my yard. Don't come in. But no, the ancestors of the, the cougars and the wolves, they were there long before we were. We are the guests. So we just need to remember a little humility. And there's really not an animal that I'm afraid of in this world. They're not out to hurt us or to get us. 
all of animate creation, all of the creation stories tell us what DNA also tells us. We are all family. We are so closely related to chimps, of course, that, you know, you can get a blood transfusion from a chimp. But what we don't realize is that of all the placental mammals, mammals who aren't marsupials or monotremes, we share 90% of our genetic material with a mouse and a raccoon and a cougar. We share 40% of our genetic material with a banana. So we really are all from the same family. And I feel far more at home when I embrace my family and consider it our home, not just my home. And in fact, that is how the world works most efficiently when we have the whole network of relations. This is not just my idea. Native people all over the world know this very well. We just need to listen again to the wisdom that we even have in our very genes. Oh, how wonderful. Thank you so much, Sai, for sharing that wisdom with us and how we can know how we're all related in very deep and essential ways. I want to thank you for being part of the cafe today. It was my pleasure, Justine. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Cy Montgomery, author of many books about her encounter with so many species of animals around the world, including the soul of an octopus and the hummingbird's gift, wonder, beauty, and renewal on wings. And I've been speaking with her at her home by remote connection. And if you want to learn more about her work, you can go to her website, cymontgomery.com. And she spells her first name S-Y. SciMontgomery.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.